Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is content strategist Peter Winnick. Today we will discuss thought leadership marketing. Peter is a New York City-based content strategy consultant with Thought Leadership Leverage, who works with nonfiction authors and thought leaders. He has more than 20 years of experience and has worked with a large number of best-selling authors and renowned thought leaders, including Keith Ferrazzi, Chip Conley, Steve Shapiro, and Carol Roth. He has built and managed several consulting and professional development organizations. Peter can be found online at thoughtleadershipleverage.com. Peter, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What is thought leadership marketing? That's a good question. So I, I think if you break it down, it's 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 becomes pretty obvious. So for given this audience, I think it's safe to assume we know what marketing is. Um, when it comes to thought leadership, there's lots of different definitions as to what that is. You know, my definition of of thought leadership is really when you're you're noted as an expert in your space, whatever that space might be, and you're referred to either because of your body of work or, or uh, models that you've developed or whatever as a thought leader in your space. So there's typically a publishing component to being a thought leader. There's typically a research component. And then uh, more often than not, there's some sort of a, a uh, practitioner component that you're actually using your content, your work, your thoughts, your ideas to make a living and to make a difference. So when you combine those two, it's really about using the ideas, the content, the, the concepts, the models, the methodologies to market, um, which I think is, is, is where some folks struggle, is using the ideas and the basis of your content and your work for the purpose of marketing. So that, that would be my somewhat long-winded definition of thought leadership marketing. Would you expand on that a little bit? Maybe would you give us an example of someone that our listeners might be familiar with? that is a thought leadership marketer or a thought leadership marketing example? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll go backwards with that. The, 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 uh, the easiest example is if you go to a bakery or you go to a Starbucks and they took one of the great muffins that were there that day and they cut it up in pieces and gave you a free sample. It's a free sample model, right? And once you have that little nibble or that little taste, it entices you to want more. So most folks that are making a living as thought leaders today, so if we look at um, you know, my, the area that I practice in, which is nonfiction authors, you know, anybody uh, that's a, a, a well-known author on leadership, on sales, etc., they're constantly using their content to market themselves. So uh, you know, Keith Ferrazzi is a great example. I worked very, very closely with Keith for a number of years. And um, you know, Keith doesn't use traditional marketing exclusively. Most of what he's doing doesn't really, at its surface, look like marketing. It's, it's um, getting out articles, it's getting out blog posts, it's getting out videos, all in line with what he's known as, which in, in, in his specific case is developing relationships. He's the relationship expert, the relationship guru. So what one would expect to hear from Keith is, is thoughts and content and, and all kinds of things relative to relationships. So if you look through his website and uh, articles that he publishes and interviews that he's on, um, he's typically uh, talking about uh, or, or bridging an issue to the relationship content. Did that answer your question? 
I think so, but let's see, how would we, if you were to contrast thought leadership marketing to, let's say, traditional marketing, in what ways are they different? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So, so number one, and, and this is um, sometimes difficult for traditional marketing people to digest, it's a sell-free zone. There's no selling. There's no um, specific call to action. So, so oftentimes, that's a really hard concept for a traditional marketer to sit with. And, you know, what I mean by that is it's not about going out there and promoting a specific um, something. It's not about going out there and saying, hey, here's what my book's about, buy my book. Or here's what my content does, buy my program. It's about getting your message out there. It's about getting the content out there and getting people to understand that you are an expert, you are a thought leader in your space. And the less you sell, the more you sell which is the counterintuitive part of this, just by getting out your work and getting out your knowledge and your expertise and your experiences, if you're known in your space, that actually drives more business than, than kind of really being, um, uh, let me say, blunt about trying to sell something specific. It sounds a little bit perhaps like what you do when you're doing media interviews or perhaps when you're involved in community relations where you are giving back to the community without really looking to sell to them, but just as a giving back tool. No, I didn't say we're not looking to sell. What I, what I said was, and I, I think this is a big differentiator between some people think thought leadership marketing should be in the, in the PR bucket. Some believe it should be in the marketing bucket. Some believe it should be in the sales bucket. I think it's in all of the buckets. Um, my personal frustration with traditional PR is we're not at a place yet, for the most part, where we can hold PR professionals, either in-house or outside, accountable to sales, lead generation, etc., with a well-tailored thought leadership marketing program, you can absolutely, without a doubt, have an objective of generating leads, which is about as salesy as you can get when you think about it. My point is, during the, the campaign, the process, you're not directly selling. Does that make any sense? It, it does, but I'm hoping that you're going to tell us a little bit more about how you do that. Generate leads without seeming to be selling. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So if you've if you've got um, I've got several clients in this space. Let's say you've developed a new selling methodology or a selling platform, etc. And and you take a step back and you say, okay, here's the content. Here's the idea. We're going to sell in a different way, or we've we've got a new way to tackle this problem, or it's more innovative, or whatever the case may be. And you do your homework and you say, okay, I want to target frontline sales professionals. I want to target uh, sales managers. And I want to do it by this particular industry or this particular geography, right? Um, traditionally, what would happen is is you'd market to those people, and 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 you'd be reaching out to them for the you know in hopes of generating business. With a thought leadership marketing plan, what we're doing is saying, okay, let's figure out where the sales manager, sales director, frontline salesperson in those industries, where are they hanging out? Where where are they? And I mean, hanging out both online and offline. So, what are the blogs that they're reading? What are the events that they're going to? What are the associations that they might be members of? As well as what are the traditional outlets that they're reading? What are the, the trade publications, print, general media, etc.? So that's the first thing. So those are the places that you want to get your content published, if you will, to reach your audience. The next layer is how do they consume content? 
because we live in a world where content is is uh, available in so many different modalities that it's not a print-only world anymore. So we take a step back and we do a little bit of homework and we say, wow, lots of these blogs happen to like videos. And then we look at our inventory of content, of thought leadership content, and say, what do I have as a thought leader? So I've got 50 blog postings. Wow, I don't have any videos. Can I convert some of my existing content into a new modality so that it, it, it now gives it the higher uh, likelihood of being published in a different way. So I can go through blog postings I wrote two years ago and convert those into videos because I see that certain blogs that I want to get published on happen to be using video a lot, right? So we, we make sure we have the right target, who are we trying to reach, we understand the mediums that they're going to be in, and we understand the format they like content in. That's the first step. And then you have to execute. And you, you, you have specific goals and specific targets. I'm going to spend this amount of money, time, energy, effort, resources, and these are my objectives, right? So one objective could be more traditional PR objectives, which are awareness, brand building, community building, etc. But another objective could also be I want to generate some business. I, I want to generate five leads in these type of clients that lead to selling this specific service or solution that's a derivative offering of my content. And I, and I think that's the key difference is that you can accomplish not only the brand awareness, the community building, but a lead generation component uh, with, with a well-executed and a well-thought-out thought leadership marketing program. Are there products or services that are appropriate for thought leadership marketing that may not be appropriate for traditional, let's call it, marketing? Um, and then are there things that are not appropriate for thought leadership marketing? Um, yeah, I, I would say yes. I mean, we live in a, in a time now where social media is a really new phenomenon. Um, you know, there's all these kind of really fascinating things going on from a technology perspective. And the mistake that I think a lot of marketers make is to try everything irregardless of what it is, what your product or offering is. So, for example, uh, you know, I was just reading something about, you know, Charmin, I think it was, having a Facebook fan page. And I'm thinking to myself, okay... I'm a big fan of Charmin, happen to use it pretty frequently, don't know that I want to be a fan on Facebook. So when it comes to thought leadership marketing, I probably wouldn't say it's something Charmin or a typical consumer product would, would do. Um, but I know for sure that anyone in professional services, um, it happens to work really well. So that could be consulting, that could be legal, that could be accounting, um, uh, training, etc. So any, any most service-related business, businesses, tend to do really well. When it comes to product, um, typically it would be uh, better if it's a product that's used with some level of complexity. So software is a good example. Um, some high-tech um, hardware. Cisco, for example, does a lot of thought leadership marketing. Um, and one of the objectives that they're trying to do is, is with the virtual meetings and all those kind of things, put some thought leadership marketing out there that answers people's concerns and questions around how remote meetings can be, you know, what are the pros and cons of running a, a remote meeting? How do you do it effectively? What are the things you have to look out for? So they can put out some really thoughtful content without specifically putting out there by our, you know, uh, remote, um, uh, you know, meeting platform. So I think to answer your question, services, um, complex products and solutions, but probably not as much on you know, uh, consumer goods and, and uh, you know, hospitality, restaurant, I think a lot of those categories, um, it would be a little bit 
a little bit of a stretch to put together, uh, you know, a good thought leadership marketing campaign um, for those industries. When you say services, are you pretty much across the board? Would that be applicable to, say, financial services or bail bonds or funeral services? Well, those are three different categories. <laughs> um, I think financial services, absolutely. There's a lot of thought leadership marketing that we're seeing today uh, in, in the financial services market. Um, I can't speak to bail bonds, don't have a lot of experience there. Um, but I would imagine there probably could be some things there. Um, Funeral services, yeah, I, w- I would think um, there could be some there as well. But um, yeah, yeah, actually, I would say yes to those. So if I'm understanding correctly, concepts that are somewhat complex and that require some thinking are ideal for thought leadership marketing and consumer products that are, or things that are pretty straightforward, even a combination of service and product, that's pretty much a straightforward thing, like you were saying, Charmin, probably not so much of a good match. Yeah, I think you. I would look at it across a continuum where on one end of the continuum would be, are you buying expertise? Are you paying $700 an hour for a lawyer that's you know only trained in whatever, internet IP law? Um, absolutely. You know, on the other end of that spectrum, is it a commodity and, and, and you're a agriculture, uh, you, you know, you're in agriculture and you're buying wheat? Probably not. Right. So, and most people are somewhere in the middle of those two. So I think you just have to do some thinking and think, think about, you know, it's, it's like anything else. What does the buyer want? What is the expectation of the buyer? Is there really much that you can do? Cause, cause one of the clear objectives of thought leadership marketing to the person consuming the content, they don't care that your goal is to generate leads. They want to learn something. So, uh, you know, again, I'll use the Charmin example. Do I really have an expectation from Charmin that they're going to teach me something that's going to make my life better or easier? Probably not. If we take that to the, let's say, extreme, what if you're looking at, say, a collectible item that's unique or perhaps, for example, I just read about a dog that sold for one and a half million dollars that must take some thinking to make such a purchase. Can you stretch that to a product or is it pretty much set that we're looking at services, complex concepts? Um, yeah, I, I mean, the way I would think about that is what thought leadership marketing has to do is put enough of the content out in front of the, the, the user or the reader or the viewer um, that enables them to think, act, do, behave, believe, or be exposed to something different that could have an impact on their lives personally or professionally. Right? So, you know, I would make sure it passes that litmus test because if you, you stretch it too far, it's just not going to work. You know, and, and, and people want to learn things. That's why they're, they're reading and consuming thought leadership marketing content. They want to be exposed to new ideas. They want to be exposed to new concepts, typically from the expert. So, you know, unless, uh, you know, the dog example, there's some expert dog breeder or something that knows how to breed dogs that are sell for millions of dollars and there's a process or methodology behind that. Um, you know, I, I, I would probably say no. Okay. What are the benefits, going back to the concept itself, is why should someone who is in the business of selling services look at thought leadership marketing 
as the way to go versus what perhaps they've been doing before or what most other people might think of in traditional marketing? Sure. Um, ultimately, the benefits have to be what you'd want them to be at, at a cost that is equal to or better than what you're currently doing. So if, if you're a uh, you know, large consultancy, an Accenture or a Deloitte or whoever, um, you know, I see them all the time in airports with uh, you know, billboards and displays and all those other kind of things. Um, you know, if I was the CMO at Accenture, I might look at that and, and I don't know how much thought leadership marketing they're doing and say, you know, I know what we're spending on uh, airport marketing, how many zillions of dollars a year. Maybe I should do a test and take some percentage from the airport marketing budget and try a pilot thought leadership marketing campaign and measure dollar for dollar and see what my highest return is. Um, and you know, I'd probably start somewhere there is, 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 is to, you know, test it against what we know we have in, in, in our repertoire of things that we're, we're using that we have a long track record with that we have metrics to measure against and say, can this be equal to or greater than what I'm currently doing? And I think in a lot of cases, people are shocked by how much better, and, and how much higher those returns can be with, with a, a well-thought-out and a well-executed thought leadership marketing plan. Does it have to be a large company in order to consider thought leadership marketing? Um, can it be just be an individual, say, a book author, as we've talked yeah, about? That, absolutely a great question. Um, you know, we talk about the Internet being a level, you know, a playing field that levels the game. And I think the, the, the amazing thing about thought leadership marketing is, you know, I might have a client that's publishing his first book that's no one ever heard of that is as smart or smarter than, uh, you know, someone that's been out in the market for 20 years with 10 bestsellers. And, you know, if, if, if we use that analogy from a brand perspective, you know, if I'm an individual solo practitioner consultant going up against one of the big boys, I'm typically at a big disadvantage. But at the end of the day, when if I'm giving a, an opportunity to compare my smarts against one of their smarts, it's going to be an even battle. And I think that's the that that's what thought leadership marketing does. Assuming you put the focus in and you can get the content out. So when someone reads something in a blog that they trust, that they have a connection to, and it's a place that they go to for information, um, they're judging it not necessarily by you know who that author is, although that's a part of it, but by what they're saying. And I think it levels the playing field. So you can come out into the marketplace with some amazing thoughts and, and great content and not have to spend zillions of dollars and you, be judged by the, the value of your ideas and, and, and your models and your content. That means that this provides access to marketing strategies to first-time book authors and perhaps even small businesses that are just getting out into the playing field. Yeah, so let's look at so so I, I know the the book space pretty well. So we let's look at a you know a first-time book author versus an established book author. So if I am an established book author and let's say I've had whatever five New York Times bestsellers over the last ten years, and I've got you know I'm doing my homework and I'm doing the right thing and I've got you know a database of whatever, half a million followers from over the years that have been following me, etc. There's a pretty high probability that when my next book comes out, it will do relatively well because I have an installed user base. I've got a customer base, right? So that's great. That's going to work to my advantage and I'm going to market to my followers, etc. Now I've got a new author here who no one's ever heard of, but his stuff could be as good or better 
than stuff that's already out in the marketplace. But he doesn't have that installed user base. So what does he need to do? He needs a thought leadership marketing plan to get his content out into the market, get it in front of as many people as you can that it would be relevant to so that he can uh, be more successful. So people are going to read those ideas and go, wow, that's interesting. I, I just read this article in the Harvard Business Review. Never heard of that guy, but wow, I see he wrote a book. Or it was on a blog that I trust. Or it was a, a, a video that I downloaded. Or a TED Talk that I saw. Or you know, whatever the case may be. Get those ideas out there. Get the content out there to build the following. So you know, is it more difficult for a first-time author? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's more difficult for anybody doing anything for the first time. But using thought leadership marketing versus traditional marketing means um, uh, makes it a, let's say, a fairer fight. You talked about videos a few minutes ago, Peter, and I know that's the hot thing, especially online these days. But when I think of videos in relation to experts, a lot of what comes to my mind is, oh, another talking head. Is there a benefit when you are sharing these complex thoughts and ideas to use a video? And if so, why? Sure. Um, so number one, I think one of the problems with video is it's really cheap now. So even, you know, three, five, six, seven years ago, to produce some videos, even talking head videos, cost a decent amount of money. You had to get into a studio and, and invest all that time and energy. And, you know, Today, everybody's got a webcam built into their uh, laptop or you can buy, you know, an inexpensive uh, digital video camera for a couple of bucks. So anybody could be, you know, producing videos, which means everybody produces videos. So, you know, one doesn't go to YouTube to look for the next Oscar winning whatever. There's lots of stuff there. A lot of it not so good and some of it good. So I, I think when it comes to videos, what you need to understand is what are the parts of your content that would be better uh, presented in a video format, right? And what do you need to be aware of? There's some, you know, basic rules of video in terms of, uh, you know, the quality, how it should look, call to action, etc. I think the talking head phenomena, we could get that in audio, you can get that in video, you can get it in writing. Poor content is poor content, and I think people have less of a um, tolerance for poor content in video because we grew up in the channel surfing age. So if something pops up on my screen, and it's video and I don't like it in 10 seconds, my instinct is grab the remote and click the next channel, right? I don't want to watch that. So you've got to entice them. You've got to, you've got to give them some value. Um, and you can't just, you know, vomit information on people in a, in a boring, monotonous way. You have to make it interesting and you have to make it exciting. And, you know, the reality is not a lot of authors and thought leaders have been trained in video. Um, you know, if you're inherently a writer and a little bit more introverted, that might not be the best medium for you. So I think another thing is understanding the mediums that you're, that you're um, most fluent in and understanding that you can get some coaching and get some help to get better at things. Um, and I also think you need to understand your users. If you're um, putting content out there and for some reason, whatever that reason is, the people that you're trying to reach happen to like video, you better figure out how to crack that code. Is there something that says that the audience that you can reach effectively with thought leadership marketing will respond better to video? Um, I, I don't think that's a yes or no across the board. I think it depends on a specific audience. So, for example, um, in, in the sales universe, sales content and, and sales training, we know that 
um, the people we're trying to reach in, in, for that content are salespeople. They tend to be mobile. They tend to have a shorter attention span. They're, they're, they're not in a place where they can sit for two hours. And they can tend to, con- to consume things quickly and on the go. So the format for that audience is typically something that's literally a minute and a half to two and a half minutes. Quick, punchy, with a call to action, right? Um, uh, other formats that work really well, if we look at the whole phenomena behind TED, we're taking experts, you know, literally Nobel Prize winning experts, and Chris Anderson says, you have 18 minutes. Now, the, the fascinating part about that is some of these people coming from academia or whatever have never been forced to communicate uh, so succinctly and clearly in 18 minutes. They're usually used to having the floor for four hours. And it's actually really, really difficult to condense your, your, your body of work to something as short you know, as 18 minutes and make it powerful. Um, but I think that's the world we live in. People need, people are consuming content in shorter pieces more frequently than sitting down for a three hour, you know, uh, you know, five course meal, if you will. If I'm hearing you correctly, figure out who you're trying to reach and then figure out whether you need to be using video or what other means you need to use to approach them. Yeah. And the one thing I would add to that is be aware of, of your personal, um, strength relative to video and the areas that you need to work on and work on them. I mean, it's like anything else, a little bit of practice. I'm, I'm amazed when I see clients that the first time they're shooting, you know, we're shooting videos, they're, they're God awful and you get five or 10 under your belt. You start to build a little confidence. You, you get comfortable with a style that's yours. That's not artificial and you get good at it. It's like any, any other skill or activity that we take on, you have to practice it to master it. You talked uh, also about the difference between other methods of marketing and thought leadership marketing, and you specifically referred to generating sales. Does that involve metrics? Are you, are you connecting your marketing efforts to a measurement tool of some kind? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, in this day and age, anybody that's doing any marketing that doesn't have a metric tied to it is not going to be around long. I mean, it's just, I, I, I just, the world that we live in today is a metric, you know, is, is, is a metric world. And, and that's a good thing. It forces people to be disciplined. It forces people to spend resources and, and energy wisely. And, you know, I don't know how you could launch any campaign from a marketing perspective without having some metrics around that to, to you know, to be able to look back and go, that was a success or that was a failure. What do I need to do to improve that? Or are we ever going to do that again? Or do we allocate resources from something else and do more of that? I mean, you have to have the metrics. Now, some things are easier to measure than other. So things like um, uh, lead generation are actually easy to, to measure versus you know, some other things in terms of uh, brand awareness and, and, and some squishier things are a little bit harder to measure. But you know, we're getting to a place where, where everything is measurable. Are there particular metrics that are best for this kind of marketing? Um, again, there's not a one-size-fits-all. So I, I would say um, depending on the objectives of your campaign, and not every campaign is, is, is entirely focused on lead generation, you could have a thought leadership marketing campaign that's strictly about awareness and brand building, and you might use some of the more traditional metrics. You know, how many... Um, uh, uh, you know how many people were exposed to the content. So how many mediums, how many outlets picked up the content, whatever format. 
how many viewers, readers, listeners, whatever do they have, and take a look at that, and then maybe measure that against something that you know is a given, like web traffic or book sales or something of that nature, um, and, and getting more sophisticated measurements when it comes to things like lead generation. But I, but I think it's about understanding up front, what are we trying to accomplish with this campaign, how are we going to best do that, and how are we going to measure our success? How do you know if this is the kind of marketing program that you should be working with? Yeah, I think there's a few things there. Number one, I think there's, there's just the, um, the logic test. Do my clients or prospects or future clients and customers, could they benefit from what I would put together for them as a thought leadership marketing campaign? Because number one, it's got to be about the client, the customer, the end user, right? Is there a benefit to them or is this feel like, you know, masking something and, 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 and manipulative. If you can honestly deliver information that's a benefit to them, that has impact to them, that they could look at and, 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 you know, kind of digest on their own and go, wow, I could do something with that, or that's an interesting concept, or I never thought of looking at the world that way, then, I, you know, that would be the first litmus test um, uh, to see if that would work for you. What can you anticipate? What, what will a program let's call it that, what will it be like? What kind of expectations should you have? Sure. Um, one is, I think, one of the primary things is it's not a um, one-shot kind of transactional uh, campaign or initiative. You have to have a little patience, and I would suggest a minimum of a three- to six-month program um, as opposed to let's try this you know, for two weeks and throw everything we have against it and then take a step back and see if it worked. It doesn't work that way. So I think number one is, is constantly um, figuring out where your end user is, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, and that is not a static process. That's dynamic because we can compile a list of the 50 greatest blogs for uh, you know, my potential clients today, and that could get stale in 45 or 60 days. So you have to have you know, kind of uh, new mediums and new outlets constantly uh, coming into your pipeline and you're exposed to. Um, you have to have the right content in the right format, like I mentioned. So sometimes that takes some time to repurpose things. And then you want to consistently, what I would call, uh, you know, uh, dripping the content out there consistently, month after month after month after month, just getting it out there consistently, um, as opposed to the uh, kind of strategies that go around a specific product launch or something that's seasonal or timely. It's about constantly getting your message, your content, your ideas out to the audience that it can have the greatest impact with and then being a little bit patient and watching for things to come in, you know, and then obviously responding in a timely and professional way to things that do come in. Does that make sense? Definitely. Now, this goes back to metrics in a way, but how do you know, say that you follow this three months, six months, how do you know if you are being successful? Is it just about metrics is there some sort of ROI test or other way to determine that this is really working sure well you know the first thing is is on the the, the front end of a campaign you want to answer the question of what is success what is success going to look like if we do this well right so that could be brand awareness it, it could be uh, you know exposure could be lead generation so whatever those are understand uh, with as much clarity as you can, what's success going to look like? And then, you know, the next step is to figure out how would we measure that success? 
So would we, you know, is it fair to correlate awareness with web traffic? Maybe. Is it fair to correlate, um, uh, you know, awareness with people uh, taking some specific action? You know, viewing a specific video that we post somewhere or downloading a white paper or taking a, a, a quiz or a test could be, um, you know, all the way on to lead generation. So I, th- I think you just have to, you know, figure out what your goals are and figure out how you're going to measure those goals. Um, that would be the that would be number one. Number two, I would also say control the variables. So the variables that you typically have in a thought leadership marketing campaign are, are threefold. Where am I putting my stuff? Where are the outlets? that I have it in. So do, does the written word get me a higher response than video, than audio, et cetera? So measure that. Um, the quality of the content is video A better than video B. Okay. Let's see if we get different response rates there. Um, and, and then the third is, am I targeting the right place? I mean, I might have amazing content getting out to lots and lots of people, but it's the wrong people. So is it the right medium? Is it the right format? And is it the best representation of my content in that format relative to that audience? And these are going to vary depending on who you're working with and what their product slash services and their goals and chosen strategies, if I understand correctly. Right. Absolutely. So there's no cookie quarter, cookie cutter magic formula that you can just use across the board. No, nope. I mean, the, the, the other formula I would put on there is what is this going to cost in terms of time, energy, dollars, and money? And if we are successful, what is the ROI on that? Right? So am I going to spend a dollar to get back five cents? Probably not. Would I spend a dollar to get back five dollars? Most likely. Tell us a little bit about costs. Sure. So... To me, the, the, the good news here is costs are falling every day. So the cost of creating, repurposing, and, and, and developing content, and I'm excluding from that the thinking, et cetera, but, but, but taking your content and putting it in a blog format, a video format, et cetera, are, are falling every day. I mean, it's almost close to zero. So the, so the real cost is people time, time, energy, and effort to have someone, depending on the size of your organization, uh, or, or multiple people responsible for the development, management, and implementation of the program. So that's really where the cost comes in, right? Um, I've seen people launch campaigns for uh, literally the cost of, you know, five or ten hours a month of their time, you know, and, and in some cases it's time that was idle anyway, so it's almost a zero cost. And I've seen clients and organizations, you know, spend six figures a month to to put out a, you know, robust, uh, you know, pretty dynamic campaign. Um, I think the reality is you can work backwards and, and, and say, I've got this to spend. And this could be time, you know, some combination of time, energy, and dollars. What can I design for that? And I think that's the beauty of thought leadership marketing. If I have only got $5,000 to spend or no money to spend, television's not an option for me. I can't call up NBC and say, this would really be good for me, but I can't afford the Super Bowl ad. You know, could you do it for me anyway? There's a lot of things that we can do that don't cost money today that are effective and impactful. Bloggers um, need content. If you position this as a win-win for them where I have content that's of value to you and your followers that I am giving you, that's a win-win. Um, and, and I think that's, that's you know, one of the amazing things about putting together a great campaign is cost is usually not the hurdle. The hurdle is usually taking the time and energy to put the strategy together and 
being committed and disciplined to stick to it for a period of time consistently to get the message out there so that you can measure the results um, appropriately. In addition to the costs, which as you described now, have gone down to become very affordable, and the cost of time, there may also be the cost of a consultant such as yourself. What kinds of fees should you expect? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, The fees, I think, are all over the place. What I would say is... um, you know, if, if, if I kind of look at it like like we looked at search engine optimization 15 years ago. All of a sudden, you know, Google's coming out with ad search, and five minutes later, there's a million consultants that are that are, you know, uh, search engine uh, optimization experts. Um, I don't know what they were doing three months before that, but all of a sudden they're experts. So lots of people are claiming to be experts today. I think um, you want to see what that person's done. If it's related, if if you can see a parallel to what your objective and goal is. Right, and ask them the hard questions to give you specific examples of, uh, you know, case studies, results, references, referrals, etc. Um, you know, the, the the scary side of the internet is 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 people can represent themselves in ways that aren't necessarily uh, truthful. Um, and I think it's like anything else; you, you got to do a little bit of homework. And do you feel comfortable with that person? Does that person understand your goals and objectives? Um, have they done this type of thing before? And have they done it well? And, you know, are there, does their client base look like a client base um, that, that you could see yourself included in or even aspire to be? Does that make sense? It does. I'm still wondering what kinds of fees or range of fees you would need to consider before you decide whether you can afford a consultant or whether you should try to do it solo. Um. Sure. So I I I think um, trying to figure out how to answer that question. So I mean to do it properly with my humble opinion at, in terms of the type of clients that I work with, etc. You know, you're you're going to be looking at anywhere from a, a I don't know probably under a ten thousand dollar investment to get started, and then it might be some sort of a monthly fee depending on who's doing what in terms of implementation. That could be you know a couple thousand dollars to ten fifteen thousand dollars a month depending on size, scope, and, and uh, you know, uh, amount of content that needs to be created, deployed, etc. So there's a huge, huge range there. And uh, you know, I'd say a lot of folks can, can do the implementation on their own. Where I find people struggle most is in the upfront part in terms of strategy. The technology today is pretty easy um, to use. Creating content is not that difficult. But I think, at least from my experience, I see people struggle the most, particularly thought leaders, getting the strategy and the clarity that they need to do it effectively. Perhaps having an objective consultant who can look at the situation and maybe even help them flesh out what those goals and objectives are could be an invaluable way of saving time and resources. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, to be a thought leader today is not easy. To be absolutely world-class and best-in-class at what you do, that's a full-time job times three. So to have that type of skill set and then assume that you can also be the world's greatest marketer and be on top of things that are, that are just cutting edge and changing day to day, I don't think that's a good assumption. I mean, I think stick to what you do well which is being a great thought leader and get the help where you need it, which is relative to marketing, getting the content out there, developing solutions and developing campaigns. I mean, you, you, 
it's very rare. I don't think I've ever met someone that has both of those skills. What suggestions, what tips would you share with our listeners, Peter, as a takeaway for those who are thinking through this conversation and trying to figure out where they are that they might be able to apply to their everyday work or perhaps to their project that they're thinking of using thought leadership marketing in? Are there three tips to get them started or to strengthen their efforts that you might share with them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing would be to think about it um, from the standpoint of here's what I'm currently doing from a marketing perspective and here's what thought leadership marketing is. So the first thing would be to get an understanding of what is thought leadership marketing. Second thing would be to kind of put it out on the table and say how might this fit into what I currently have or how might this replace something that I have or, or why wouldn't I give this a try relative to what I'm already doing. Right? So how do I get this to fit into the arsenal um, of the tools that I'm using to do my job effectively? And then the third is, is, is to have the guts um, to try it. Give it a shot. I mean, no one has ever gotten killed trying a thought leadership marketing program and failing. At, at a, your worst case scenario is you will learn a lot on how to be a better marketer, how to get your content out there. And your best case scenario is you're going to generate more business, increase your brand awareness at a lower cost than you did before. So I think it's, it's about learning about it, figuring out where it could fit into your arsenal, and then having the guts to give it a shot. And, of course, uh, I think that was very insightful. Nobody has gotten killed moving forward with a thought leadership marketing strategy. And if they have, I'd love to hear about, you know, someone like an electrocuted shooting a video or something. I'm sure there's one story out there. I'd love to hear. That sounds really tragic. Let's hope that (laughs) we don't hear from anybody. Thank you, Peter, for joining us from New York City. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And to our audience, thank you for listening to content strategist Peter Winnick, who discussed thought leadership marketing. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.